Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. We're presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code DAN for a special offer when you sign up. That's code DAN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So honestly thrilled to be doing this with you because Thanks. because I have admired your work. You are just such a sculptor. You're an artist as a comedian. It's sort of the Why? Co- Why? Thank you. Well, Thank the, you. the craft of it. Uh, it's such a hard way to make a living, Jay. I don't even understand how you make a living that way. I really don't. You have to be demented to choose. You know what? I'm going to laugh my way to the top. I'm going to take the expectation of funny, and that's how I'm going to get rich. Get out of here. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, I, 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 it seems sort of second nature to me. You know, I think it's one of those things is what, if it's what you like to do, it just comes. Yeah, you know, I remember when I was in college, I'm dyslexic, so I would get out of any sort of written things and I was taking speech therapy. And I remember the professor said, now at the end of the class, each student will have to give a 20 minute talk. And people went, 20 minutes. Oh my God. I get done. I thought, I'll, talk, I'll, I'll do it right now. I'll talk for 20 minutes. Yeah, let's do this. You know, so it just struck me as funny. But you could be funny in an instant. You knew that this was no, no, not funny. I had to give a 20 minute talk. I mean, I didn't have routine. I wasn't a comedian yet, but it it just seemed natural. I mean, I always read that uh, getting eaten by a shark and public speaking are the two things most people are afraid of, you know, that kind of stuff. But not you, right? Like that, what you was it? You didn't need attention, right? An audience just didn't scare you, right? Even though you were dyslexic, even though. uh, No, it didn't scare me. You know what's interesting? A lot of people don't realize. You remember the Smothers Brothers, right? Yes. Well, Tommy Smothers was dyslexic, and they were folk singers, but Tommy would get the songs wrong. Michael, both the row was short. No, no, it's row the what? And they they made a part of their act, and that's kind of uh, how they became a sort of funny comedy singing team, you know. How do you watch stand-up comics? Because I imagine you are watching not just to laugh, but to see where the comic's insecure, where the comic looks off stage or looks at his feet. I imagine. They no, can... not really. I watch it just to enjoy it. You know, I I like comedy. I enjoy watching comedians. You have to be careful when you're a comedian because someone does a joke. And then you realize you never want to be on stage and that subject comes up and your mind immediately goes to that person. So you have to be careful not to try and take somebody else's material. You know, that's sort of the biggest trick. A lot of times you don't want to watch comedians do a routine on a particular subject because if you're developing something along the same line, oh, now you can't do yours because it's too close to theirs or whatever it might be. But no, I, I watch it. You know, I, it's like I like to make love, but I don't want to be a gynecologist. You know what I mean? So I, I enjoy it just being, you know, just just being around it and being with comics. It, it's always fun. 
you came up through the pipeline of where stand-up comedy was born, right? Like, I mean, you're 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 almost at the roots, Jay. I mean, I don't know if it's Pryor and Carlin, but coming up through the L.A. comedy circuit, coming up through the comedians, when you were writing with David Letterman for J.J. Walker, right? Like, coming, mm -hmm. coming up through the comedy store, uh, right. can you take me through the path of what you imagined your career was going to be and how it is that you arrived? And, well, like, I can't even imagine getting from there to The Tonight Show well I, i'm a huge believer in low self-esteem i think it's the key to success if you don't think you're the smartest person in the room you're more likely to listen and pay attention i mean i when i was doing the tonight show i constantly meet people who were geniuses people like you know my client is a genius but the people at the network were afraid he'd be too good you know i get that all the time or i get comedians who auditions for the tonight show and i they didn't quite have them. They were close. And their agent would say, you're, you're scared because you know if my client kills, he could take your job. No, I, I want your client to do well. It's just that, you know, talking about Reagan's trip to Pittsburgh 30 years later, it's not really timely anymore, okay? Can you try to update them? Oh, and the people get furious. So there's all sorts of reasons why. But, I you know, I think the key is I was always happy at whatever level I was at. I mean, I used to have a day job and there'd be a comedian at night and I would bank one and spend the other. And then when the comedian money got to be pretty good, I quit the other job. And I thought, oh, I'm making a living as a comedian because it's probably a sad reflection in our society. But the worst comedian in the world still makes more than the best teacher, which seems hardly fair, but that's just the way it is. And... So I always was able to make a living and, and it was okay. Each year got a little better than the year before. And that was okay. Um, you know, it's so funny. Whenever I watch these shows about, oh, there's a couple of them on Netflix and HBO about comedians. It's, it's a backbiting, horrible business and everybody hates one another. And that wasn't the case at all. I mean, I got where I was thanks to Steve Martin and Johnny Carson and Harvey Corman and, and, and consequently, when I got a little success, I brought Johnny Carson in to see Ellen DeGeneres and some other comedians as well. And you, you can't do every job every day. So I, I've always found comedians to be extremely supportive. You know, whenever one of us, by one of us, I mean Letterman or me or Seinfeld or even Robin Williams, uh, if you watch my first Tonight Show from 1977, you hear... You hear this in the back laughing in the audience. It's Robin. Robin was sitting in the audience, kind of helping me out and giving me a little encouragement, you know. And consequently, when those guys did the Tonight Shows, we all went and we'd laugh it up for them, whether it's Merv Griffin or, you know, Mike Douglas or any of those shows. So it's actually quite a, a nice way to make a living. I mean, yes, yes, there are horrible people in it, I, I suppose, but I, I didn't run into too many of them. I met far more nice people than bad people. What do you regard as the happiest time in your professional life? Because I, I remember, I don't know how many times you appeared on Letterman. I, I remember a stand-up act specifically that for some reason, uh, I, I don't know whether it was discovering you, I guess, but you were on uh, st you were on stage and you did something about Mr. Universe and you held your fingers under your chin and you made, uh, you know, some other uh, interplanetary weightlifter uh, was furious because, um, you know, we had decided that... I I should have won. I should have won. <laughs> Something about how did Venus win? I should have won. You know, it was some how they have Mr. Universe. If there's a yeah, the happiest time yesterday was pretty good. But um, 
You know, the happiest time was probably when I was doing Letterman show every month. About every four weeks, I do a Letterman show. And it was the first time that I got to be on with a contemporary. Because like with Johnny Carson, like when I see my, oh, hi, Mr. Carson, call me Johnny. Well, you know, when you grow up in New England, uh, you grow up, you don't call parents by their first name. Jay, these are my parents, Bob and Agnes. Oh, hi, Bob. And no, hi, Mrs. and Mrs. Minicelli. How are you? Nice to meet you. You know, you, you, it, so to me, it was always weird doing Mer Merv Griffin or Mike Douglas or any of those shows because I was talking to an adult and I was essentially a kid. And then finally, when Letterman got a show, uh, I could want to go, hey, Dave, nice tie, Dave. Uh, what a dump this studio is. And just, you know, trash, which you, you you couldn't do with Johnny just out of respect or out of deference, you know. So that was the most fun to me. And you really got a chance to be yourself. You know, the fun thing about doing Letterman in those early days was making Letterman laugh on the way to the joke as opposed to the joke. You know, Letterman was a guy who always got nervous before he went on stage. I didn't get nervous. So one day I was eating a sandwich and Letterman stops me and he goes, how, how can you eat that sandwich? You're on in five minutes. Get rid of that stupid sandwich. I said, oh, no. I said, oh, this is going to be great. So I went down. I got a brand new, another meatball sandwich. It's an enormous amount. And I walked out and said, okay, okay, we'll try this. <laughs> and I put the sandwich on his desk and the crust of meatballs getting all over everything. And Dave was just, you know, acting flustered. And I said, Dave, try this meatball. I'm not, no, I'm not eating that disgusting meatball. And we had so much fun because this is all ad lib. And it was just, it was happening in the moment. So if I had to pick the most exciting part of my career, uh, that was probably it. That, that whole like three year, four year period of just constantly doing Letterman all the time and going on, you know, writing material literally the day before and then going on and doing it. So, yeah, that would that would certainly be it. I don't know if you've examined this because I regard you as someone who generally comes from a, a, a happier place from uh, with comedy or a better relationship with comedy where Letterman seemed it was colder or that, you know, he would be a little miserable or some of the negative feelings. He wasn't quite as comfortable ever. And it was part of his charm and funny. But you had a unique access to such uh, a time in late night television where these cathedrals exist and you elevated yourself into a place where you're telling me now as we talk that the Tonight Show and doing it, even though it was the greatest of ambitions, was somehow less fun than a time in television where you and Letterman could just screw around and not worry about anything. Well, yeah, that's well, yeah, the, I mean, you kind of answer your own question. I mean, it's true where you can just be yourself and screw around. You know, what's funny because when you when you start out in comedy. You go to the comedy club and you have your act down in your head and how you're going to do it, you know. And then afterwards, all the comedians would go out to eat to one of the popular canters or a deli or something. And you'd get the big table, you'd order food. Then you'd all sit around, you'd talk about the act and what, what was funny, what worked. And, you, you know, you, people would help you, you'd help them. But then something kind of interesting would happen. You'd find you had even funnier stories just riffing with the guys, you know. And you realize, hey, I'm getting laughs here, but there's no punchline. There's no real ending to it. There's no beginning. It's just a funny story. And that's what was something I was able to bring the Letterman show. Because before you sort of write joke, tell joke, get checked, real simple, you know. Whereas with Letterman, the fun was always on the way to the joke. I remember, uh, I, I, and I don't think he ever got to the team, but I went on Letterman's show. Letterman, what have you been up to? I said, oh, Dave, I was out at the old Manson place the other day. 
just want to see the guys, see what they've been up to since the massacre. You know, it's kind of laying low. And the old man someplace where you just, yeah, David, <laughs> you, you know, you know, Charlie and the guy. And, you know, we're just talking like this, like as if they were, you know, not horrible murderers. but just, And it was really funny and people laughed and there was no, there was no ending. There was no beginning. Oh, we just went to commercial break and then came back. I, I, I always thought you were spoofing television. I thought what I enjoyed, and I, I do think that I'm speaking to you from a place of discovery where I'm like, wait a minute, how are these two dudes allowed to do this thing where this guy wanders onto the set? Like you're allowing me at this point to have permission about what comedy on television can be because you're stumbling out there. You're super relaxed. You seem super confident. And you kill it every time. And Dave gives you the space to kill it every time. Isn't threatened right. by it in anyway no no i mean that that's the real trick to being a talk show host you're a comedian during the monologue and then you're a listener during the other part you know a lot of comedians guest host the tonight show but they win the battle and lose the war you know you bring out a big star guest and if you dominate the conversation and get more laughs than they do suddenly that guest goes I don't want to do it with that guy anymore. I didn't get a chance to speak. I didn't get my thing in. and get, some, you know. So that was sort of the key. You have to know when to be able to turn it off. What do you regard as the top of the list for top late night guests? Because you were wow. one of them. No, you were one of them. Yeah, I believe that that that's how you got the Tonight Show. In some ways, you became. Well, how, yeah, I guess that's true. This, there were really only about eighteen people in the whole world that meant anything in terms of guests. I mean, back in the day, it seems silly now because now you can watch whatever you want, whenever you want. But it was sort of appointment television. People turned it on to see what Letterman had to say or maybe what I had to say, uh, you know. Um, the biggest threat tonight show was probably Nightline. Suddenly, a news program came along. And when the Iranian crisis, that, that was the first real threat to Johnny because, oh, here's live news happening right now. Because 11.30 used to be sort of a wasteland. It'd be a hop along Cassidy movie on Channel 11 or something. And then not that, that Johnny didn't dominate and wasn't excellent. I don't mean it that way. I just mean there weren't a lot. Of, nowadays, you got so many streaming choices. You can watch all three Godfather movies edited together. Whatever you want, whatever you want. You know, <laughs> It so, has changed so it's so fast. It feels like it changed fast, Jay. It feels like The Tonight Show, whatever it is that came in after uh, The Tonight Show, all of late night television uh, sort of collapsed after you left The Tonight Show. Well, it, it's like any other business. Business, you know, it's like the automobile business. Now it's electric cars. I mean, if you had said five years ago, I think by 2022, electric cars, oh, you're crazy. It's going to take 50 years to get electric. Cars. Well, it hasn't. I mean, in fact, by 2030, General Motors and other manufacturers might not even be making internal combustion engine cars. So, and TV moves even quicker than that. You do love your cars, and I want to talk to you about it. I also want to talk to you about what you're doing with You Bet Your Life with Jay Leno, because I didn't think I was going to see you on television much more. I did not know how happy television made you at the end, because it seemed like uh, it seemed like that show has a way of sort of wringing something out of somebody. I may have this all wrong from afar, uh, but I can see how just going out there every day and hitting the same note for however long, no matter how well you do it. Well, it, it's basically, uh, you know, it's like working a club when you're getting heckled. You're talking to people in the audience. The funny thing about you about your life is it's just an extension of jaywalking where you go out and just pick people at random. We don't pre-interview anybody. And since it's a 
game show with money involved, I'm not allowed to even meet the people I have contact with them before the show for fear that you could give them a clue, you know, like they had that big quiz scandal years ago. So consequently, you just go by the seat of your pants. And it really is a lot of fun. I mean, I, I enjoy it just just going by your wits and having a conversation with them. I mean, I like people and I like to talk to people. So it, it, it's funny when you can make it humorous, yeah. You always have, right? Ultimately, uh, would your success in television not be most dominated by people like him? Uh, yeah, I mean, if people like you, yeah, that's that's the real key, I think, to doing comedy. Because let's face it, not every joke is going to be funny. But if you have something that's not funny, which was Johnny's great gift, you know, Johnny. A lot of times when the monologue would not go, he'd do like, you know, and he'd go into one of his characters or sort of, you know, fake flop sweat and you know, get panicky and, you know, and it was funny and it, and, and, and people liked and applauded it. You know, there are a lot of communities where people go, I don't like that guy, but I think he's funny, which means they only laugh if they think that the joke is funny. You know, a lot of times if people like you and you have a joke that's not that strong, nah, all right, they give you the benefit of the doubt. They smile and that little carry you through, you know? So yeah, likability is a big, a big part of it. Who do you regard right now as the greatest of artists when it comes to what you do? Because I think of you as as a stand-up. I think of you and Seinfeld as peers, and Seinfeld's at the top of the list. I've I've got it right in my rankings, right? Like you can be humble oh, about yeah. these things, but your oh, res yeah, yeah. your, your it, resume I, comes close to whatever his is at the top of uh, stand-up comedy. You know, Seinfeld, Rodney, Chappelle, Chris Rock. I mean, all of these guys. Yeah, I mean. It's the same thing I had when I started. I like people who look normal, but were funny. I was never a big fan of prop comedy or guys that can you know, have a flower in their lapel and it squirts water and they get a laugh. And, you know, you just kind of go, man, I like comics who look normal. You know, Newhart was always a favorite of mine just because of his understated way. You know, one of my favorite things Newhart did, and it's not that it's that funny a joke, but it's, 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 it's a classic way Newhart approached the joke. Newhart used to do a bit about uh, the first astronaut to make contact with aliens. And apparently in the bit, he makes contact with aliens in space. He comes back to Earth and he has a news conference. And reporters are asking him about the first human to alien contact. And one reporter says to him, how far ahead of us are the aliens? And Bob says, about six weeks. And it's funny because two weeks you can catch up to, six months is too far away, but six weeks is just perfect because you can't really catch six <laughs> weeks. I mean, imagine somebody who's just, oh, just six weeks, don't, don't. And, and, and that was sort of the classic new heart, underhand fastball that I just sort of like. It just made me laugh, just that, you know. I, I was doing a joke the other night, somebody was talking about, and this got a pretty good laugh was talking about this, you know, they're going after Steve Martin now for cultural appropriation. You remember his uh, walk like an Egyptian thing? Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Very funny video. It's about 40 years old. <laughs> well, it showed up on YouTube and all these people talking about, oh, it's it's cultural appropriation, blah, blah, blah. And King Tut and making fun of another uh, uh, you know, race and all. That. And my comment was that, look, if this brings closure to the Tut family, then I think it's important. You know, these people have waited 5,000 years for some acknowledgement. 
So I think, you know, you know, it's just those <laughs> No, stupid. but that's you knowing how funny the phrase the Tut family is. That's yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. That's really the, you know. <laughs> to me, the most fun jokes are the ones that just come out of nowhere. You know, I, I like this joke. This is like just a silly, simple. I said, the true star is doing a gig in Alaska in February. And it was like 40 degrees below zero. The sun came up at 11.30 in the morning and went down at 1.30 in the afternoon. He had two hours of sunlight and then just bitter, bitter cold. Yet when I went into the thrifty drugstore, the ice cream was still soft. How is that possible? How is that? How is that? Po I just like that simplicity of it. You know, that was my favorite thing about Rodney. I was friends with Rodney for, oh God, well over 40 years. And I couldn't tell you who Rodney voted for. I have no idea if he was a Republican or a Democrat, how he felt on any issue. It was just about the jokes. And when you sat with Rodney, it was just about the gags. I'll, I'll tell you a, a funny story about Rodney. It's not funny, essentially. But I had Rodney on in 2004, right before he died. And Rodney was in his 80s and he's getting a little shaky, you know. And he came out and he's doing his stand-up. And he was offered, but you know, hey, I tell you, uh, well, the hand was in the wrong place. It, I mean, I could tell something was wrong. I don't know if a regular audience member could. So while Rodney was doing his stand-up, I said to Debbie Vickers, our producer, I said, call the paramedics. I think Rodney's having a stroke. She goes, really? I go, yeah, he's, he's sweating a little too much. He looks, I just think he's having a stroke. Call the paramedics. Okay. So Rodney finishes stand-up, sits down. Jay, I tell you, I'm okay today, but last week, oh, I tell you, you know, you're like, this is all, nobody makes me laugh like that. So anyway, he does fine. The show ends. Rodney's in the dressing room. By that time, the paramedics have showed up. And I said, Rodney, the paramedics are here. They want to take a look at you. He goes, I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, it turns out he did have a stroke. And they took him out in a stretcher. And Rodney went to the hospital. And about a day or so later, I got a call from Jonah's wife. She said, Jay, Rodney's in a coma. Uh, we don't have much time he has left. Can you come by? I said, okay. So I run down the hospital. And she says to me, Rodney's lying there with his eyes open. And she goes, Jay, I think Rodney can hear everything we say, but he can't respond. So I'm I'm telling Rodney how much I love him and how much he meant to me and Seinfeld and all the guys, you know, and he was the one we all looked up to, you know. So then John says to me, Jay, put your finger in Rodney's hand. She goes, Rodney, if you know it's Jay, try to squeeze his finger. So I feel just a hint of a squeeze, you know. And I went, Rodney. That's not my finger. You know, <laughs> you know, you know, and Rodney went like this. And he, I mean, he literally jumped. And Jones screamed, he, knew, he, got, he got the joke, he got the joke. And I said, you know, and we all had a good laugh. And, and, and he, 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 he died right after that. And, and some, people might, some people might think that's cruel. But, you know, if you're a, com if you're a comic, that's kind of what it is, you know. I mean, it, it, was, it was really fun. It was it was. <laughs> no, it is beautiful. It is beautiful. Even as you say, and I can see the sinister smile on your face where you say he died right at right after. Like <laughs> the last that the last thing Rodney would hear on the way out is a dick joke by his friend Jay. It is beautiful. What are you kidding well, me? Well, that's what was fun. You know, I mean, that's what that's why I don't quite get all these people that you shouldn't be allowed to say this. You shouldn't be allowed to say that. You know, comedians just look at life a little bit differently. And it was with the utmost respect. And, you know, we all love Rodney because uh, nobody funnier just had that odd way. Uh, Rodney had a joke I loved. He said, uh, I went to the doctor. <laughs> doctor said, I need a 
semen sample, a urine sample, and a stool sample. So I gave my underpants. I love that joke. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's and Rodney appealed to to little kids. They thought he was fun. You know, Rod, Rodney's a classic case. He kicked around for years, and it wasn't until he grew into the character. By that, I mean, but it's, Rodney didn't even make it until he was 44. But, you know, he got a little jowly and he'd wear the cheap suit and, you know, have the tie slightly askew. And he became the no respect guy, you know, and that's what really made it because he was always funny, but he didn't have a hook in that. Oh, I get no respect. I'm OK, Jay. But last week, I tell you, you know, all that kind of stuff. That was my favorite thing. When I used to watch Johnny Carson be a straight man for Rodney, I said, boy, I'd love to do that someday. And when I got to the Tonight Show, that was my favorite thing. Everything okay, Rodney? Oh, Jay, I tell you, everything is okay with the last week. Things are bad. Are they bad, Rodney? Oh, Jay, they're so bad. You know, you just give him the one line and it would, it would kick off. And no, it's a lot of fun. You didn't even have to do anything because he's a genius. And I do think, right, right. I, I, I was asking you, and I think I interrupted you, because he would be on the list of best guests, correct, ever? Because I think oh, yeah, of you, sure, before you sure, were a host, yeah. I think of you as one of the best guests ever. Yeah. So who else would yeah. classify from someone who would be a voice for these things? You know, it's interesting. You, you, you never know who's going to be a best guest. You know, I remember, have you ever heard of a guy named Story Musgrove? I have not. He was an astronaut. Not one of the famous ones, but an astronaut. And like Buzz Aldrin, as much, much as I love Buzz Aldrin, Buzz was a jock. He was a fighter pilot. And when you say to Buzz Aldrin, what was it like to walk on the moon? Cool. Oh, okay. Cool. It's cool to walk on the moon. <laughs> so, you know, Story Musgrove was an astronaut. <laughs> but he was a philosopher and a teacher. And he came on the Tonight Show and I asked him about being in a space capsule and out of space. Oh, my God. I mean, he wove a tale that was so exciting and intriguing and mysterious. And it was like, oh, my God, this guy is really good. So you never know who the best is going to be. You know, you know, it's like when you just said Rodney was a genius. I don't know if he's a genius. He was a comic. I think Rodney would be the first guy to tell you he's not a genius. He's just a comic. And by that, I'm putting him above genius because he was just a guy who worked hard. He wrote jokes all the time, always had new stuff. And was he, he knew never to go on a TV show and just talk. Nobody cares what you have to say. They, they want to hear the funny stuff, you know, uh, even, to, even today, when I go on and I do The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, I always do stand-up. I always go center stage. You know, I learned that from Carlin. When when, when I was doing The Tonight Show, Carlin was at its height. He was the, the biggest comic in the country, selling out arenas. But he would come on The Tonight Show and he'd walk out with like a, a, a piece of paper. Like, go, Jay, I got some jokes. Can I go try them? Yeah. And he'd go center stage with the mic and he'd read off a bunch of jokes to see what kind of laughs he got. Because he always knew... Nobody cares what you have to say. If you're not funny, they go, oh, I turned him on to be funny. George was always funny. Rodney was always funny. Seinfeld always prepared. Um, you know, those are the guys that last. Because comedy's like golf. If you play it right, you can do it to your 80, you know? And those guys proved that it was true. But you you can't wing it, right? Like there there aren't a lot of people out there preparing little, are they? You can't you almost can't do that well, successfully I, well, not working I it, think, can you? I think I think Robin can wing it. Robin was a classic case of winging it. 
because he had such tremendous energy. Yeah, my Lord, <laughs> bouncing off the walls, you know. Uh, so, so he could wing it a little bit. But I think most comics prepare something. You know? Did you envy that as a style? Because as a process, I would envy somebody who could wing it if I had to craft every word. Because Seinfeld is compulsive about, you know, and, and you all are in some ways. Where does this, the symbol for boron, where do I put this at the end of a joke? Because it's as fumbly well, as, as the Tut family. You know, it's really the economy of words. It's getting to the joke with the fewest amount of words possible. You know, nothing drives a comedian crazier than talking to a civilian. Hey, Miss Long, can I tell you a funny story? Yeah. Okay. So I goes to this guy, right? And like, like this guy goes back to me, right? So I goes, what do you mean goes? What do you get? Learn how to talk. Learn how to tell a story, you know? And that's the real key, getting it to, you know, I've been trying to write some jokes on this cancer culture situation, you know, with, with Chappelle and Chris Rock and, Remember the old days when the only performers you could slap in the face were mimes? That was a simpler time, you know? Well, didn't you, see you, a guy, did, didn't you get in trouble for uh, for clutching pearls or something on what happened with Will Smith and Chris Rock? Uh, on, on, I, or did you get aggregated where, uh, I, I don't know whether you had a, a thing recently where you said something that people took out of context. No, no well, my favorite thing about that was they're still doing the investigation. Okay. Okay, what are you investigating? What are you looking for? Witnesses? Did anybody see anything? I mean, I mean, you know who I felt sorry for? I felt sorry for the stage manager because when Will Smith was given his Oscar acceptance speech, you know, the director's going, tell him to wrap it up. Steve, I'm not telling him, you tell him. I'm not telling him, you tell him. This. You have a routine in here, but there's a, it's a slippery slope, right? Do you really want to wade into these waters? Because if you want to talk to me about Chappelle and cancel culture and the lamenting of comedy dying and where Chappelle is trying to protect comedy and where he just keeps double oh, comedy, comedy's not dying. It's just, it's just, you know, after a while, it, it, it's funny. Different generations have different tastes. I mean, it, you know, I saw something really interesting, like 25, 30 years ago, I went to see Rickles. And whenever Rickles would do like, uh, and the black guy stealing hubcaps and the Puerto Rican guy, older people would laugh, younger people go, ooh. Whenever Rickles, and he never used obscenities, but if he said shit or something, older people go, ooh, and younger people would laugh. So it's just a matter of, it's a generational thing, what you think is funny. Uh, you know, I see comedians, they have acts about, you know, women drivers or something like that. And you go, guys, they're not laughing at that anymore. You can get away with it, maybe, but you're not going to work a whole lot. If the audience doesn't think it's funny, write faster, change your material, you know, try to keep up with the times as it tries, trying to convince people something you think is funny is funny if they don't, you know. How is the act? How is the act shaping up? Because when you say you're trying to work something out on cancel culture, I love. Well, yeah, I, I, for example, I don't do. I used to do a lot of politics. I don't anymore, because people wait to see the context of the joke. You know, Joe Biden. Ooh, oh, let me finish the joke, please. You know, I mean, I did a joke the other day. I said, um, I watched the Republicans trying to dig up dirt on Joe Biden. You know, you call someone who digs up dirt on Joe Biden an archaeologist. You know, that was a joke. Just a simple joke. Okay. <laughs> but, like, people would start to laugh, but they're a Biden supporter. They go, whoa. 
Yes. And then like it's an age guy. it's an ageist joke. There 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 are, right. there are only right. a few places there there are more landmines than there have ever been and you have to, even you have to be careful with all of this stuff. Oh yeah, but you know you know the people the people that complain are never the people that actually they're they're offended for someone else. I think that guy over there is offended. I'm going to defend his right. Yes. You know, look, you can't worry about it. Just keep your head down and plow ahead and, you know. Well, but you say you can't worry about it, but you're the lovable face of The Tonight Show. And recently, it couldn't have felt good, right? The I, Forgive me, I, I'm ignorant here, so I'm asking you about right. del delicate territory. But whatever the scandal was with uh, the workplace where you made an inappropriate joke at the expense uh, of Koreans in private, oh, right, right, and it right, was yeah, reported, yeah. I don't know what it felt like to get dragged. I don't think of you having very many bad public moments where people are dragging you. No, I don't. Look. Here's my thing. If somebody is actually offended by a joke, hey, I'll apologize to you. The trouble is you never really speak to the people who are offended. You know, I remember I called one of the uh, Asian organizations to speak to the head guy. And this guy told me that when he was in college on Pearl Harbor Day, the frat boys had put nasty stuff on his dorm door and yelled nasty things to him. And this guy was really hurt by this. And I said, you know something? You convinced me, okay? I, I apologize to you and your organization. You know, I, I won't do those jokes anymore. I can remember years ago, Johnny Carson used to love this. There used to be a commercial about the heartbreak of psoriasis. And Johnny Carson would always talk about the heartbreak of psoriasis. It's a heartbreak. He just liked that phrase, you know? And they got a letter from a woman one day who had psoriasis and she went on and on. It was a very eloquent letter about how hurt she was. And every time he said it and he went, oh, okay. And he, he stopped doing it and he apologized to her. Uh, so to me, look, I will never apologize for freedom of speech and the ability to say, but if, if someone is actually hurt or offended by something, I said, hey, I apologize to you. That's, it's not my job. My job is to make you laugh. If you didn't think it was funny, I apologize. Now, if you're telling me I can't speak on a certain subject, that's totally different. That's totally different. But if somebody's offended, I don't know. What does, what does it cause you to apologize? And especially if I agree with them. If I don't agree, well, that's that's different, of course. But, but I, if someone convinces me, like when this man told me how this guy was like had tears in his eyes about, you know, the frat boys attacking him for being Japanese and all that. And I said, man, I'm sorry. You know, I apologize. And, you know, you'll never hear a joke like that from me again. And I and I stopped doing them. It's, you know, it's not selling out. It's not, oh, you're chicken. In. No, it, it just seems to me if, if I feel I've actually hurt somebody, hey, man, that's not my job. My job is to make you laugh. My team is one win away. And I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do to celebrate once they get past this series. I'm going to go to my fridge and I'm going to get myself an ice cold can of Miller Lite. A lot's changed over the years, but one thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975 and it still hasn't been settled. You see, Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, and only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything that you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer, less filling, and only 96 calories. The original light beer since 1975. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller Time. To get Miller Lite delivered right at your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Beach, B-E-A-C-H. Or you can get it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. 
Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer calories and carbs than premium regular beer. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX is The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX is The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. You just said the phrase selling out and made me think of something because you're a monster success by any measure and... Your uh, your youth as a stand-up comedian uh, is is I don't know if I'd say unrivaled, but not many have have had as much success as you had early. And whatever represented growth to others was not uh, the freedom that Letterman gave you to be yourself. The Tonight Show was more restrictive. You were in a bit of a cathedral. You're doing comedy right. for the masses. You have to connect with all the markets all over. You you have to be a certain person that might not be maximum Jay Leno. Uh, right. And so when someone accuses you from there of making the choice of, am I selling out or am I just trying to have a successful television career? Cause I can't believe they let me do any of this because look at this. I'm, I have a successful television show in America and every night I'm going out and being great for America and I'm being popular and I'm dominating the late night ratings. Well, you can't be the hip guy forever. At some point it just, uh, you're hired to do a specific job. This is The Tonight Show. This is mainstream America. If you want to be the hip guy, don't take the job and come on occasionally as a guest. Uh, that's what you get hired to do. You know, I do corporate events. Okay, do a corporate event. They go, look, uh, no sex jokes because of the you know, corporate HR. Fine. And they give you a check. And you don't do any sex. Fine. fine. If, you, if you agree to do it, if you say to myself, no, I got to do sex jokes. This is who I am. All right. Then you don't take the job. I mean, anytime you take the Tonight Show, I don't, you know, Sam Kennison, when he died, he died at the height of his career. And it was like, it almost had to end that way. Because sooner or later, you're going to get hired for a straight kind of gig a sitcom or what you know the wacky name something's going to happen and you know he it, it sounds terrible i don't mean to sound that way but when he died he died at the height of his fame and the height of his game and i remember he used to have a bit about necrophilia having sex with dead people i go okay how do you what's the next bit how do you top that <laughs> and it was hilarious bit it was hilarious do you remember it I, I don't, but anything necrophilia related, is, yeah, it, is, it was, I mean, if you can make funny around that, I have to salute you. Well, it was funny. I mean, I can't do Sam, but Sam had a little bit about, you know, imagine that you're dead, you're lying in a coffin, I can relax. Hey, what's that guy doing to me? Hey, 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 my pants back up. Hey, hey. You know, it, was, it was so stupid. But, okay, where do you go after that, you know? Uh, you know, you, you can't be hip and edgy every night. Sometimes you have to just settle for 
mildly humorous, you know, and that's kind of what it is. I mean, uh, Johnny's nightclub act was a little different than his uh, Tonight Show appearances. The Tonight Show appearances are probably, quote, racier than the nightclub act. Do you think Rickles Rickles gets canceled today? Right, there's nobody who can uh, there's nobody who can navigate uh, being grandfathered in on some of this stuff. Right, the I think some of the stuff I watch with Rickles, I'm like, man, that's funny, but that wouldn't hold up today. It wouldn't be allowed. Well, here's the thing: I, I always like the morals of corporate America. For example, everybody after Joe Rogan, but you realize you can't do anything to Joe Rogan because he has no sponsors. You know, I like it when the American tobacco and asbestos manufacturers, we have, are offended by this. Type. Really, really. You know, that's why the Joe Rogan thing was over in two weeks, because who, who are you going to complain to? Sponsors pay your salary, but if you have no sponsors, it's a moot point. You know, Joe Rogan is not the public airways. It's a private airway. You pay money to hear him. Case closed. If you don't want to hear him, don't pay the money and don't listen. And you can say whatever you want. You know, what you're talking about is the public airways. You know, if if some big manufacturer is offended by what you said, well, you're just screwed, you know. But Carlin had no corporate interests, so he could do whatever he wanted, you know, on HBO or whatever, you know. How is your act coming together? Do you are on cancel culture? Because the reason I, I asked the question is, um, and I'm fascinated by process. I've seen the documentary comedian where Chris Rock and Seinfeld are sort of talking, marveling at Bill Cosby can unspool a story on stage and just sort of wing it the way Robin Williams could. And they needed the protection and safety of every crafted word. And now Seinfeld was going into the back of a kitchen in a Cleveland restaurant to work on, on material in front of 90 people. And he shooed the cameras away. He's get the fuck out of here. I, this is hurts. This is vulnerable. I got to go in front of 90 people and I don't know if this is going to work he didn't even want the cameras to see him because right. sec secretly at the place that comedians don't talk about much that's the core insecurity like i got to make it perfect so i know that when it lands it's going to well, laugh yeah you've got to you know it always makes me laugh i had a guy say to me uh i saw you on letter on uh, the tonight show with fallon and you said it was new material but i saw you do that material two weeks ago at a club in la well, yeah, yeah, I was getting ready for this. You see, I have to say it somewhere. You know, you just meet idiots all the time. They're hilarious. People who don't hilarious. understand what you do, but what is the material that you're working on? Are you Is Jay Leno announcing right now that there's going to be a new tour? I don't even know if you were serious about no, that. No, no, first of all, I, I, I don't do a tour. I just go out on the road and I do gigs. I love this idea that you're, you're on tour. You're a comedian. You're by yourself. You have a carry bag with a suit in it. You walk on stage, guy shines a light in your face, you tell a joke, and you get paid. The idea that this is some sort of world tour with buses and that. No, no. Most comedians are like me. You go out on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, and then you you come back. So it's it's not a tour. I think you're, you're constantly evolving material. You know, someone said to me the other day that, uh, are you afraid that what happened to Chappelle and Chris Rock will happen to you? And I go, no. 
because my audience is my age. By the time they get out of that chair, I'm halfway <laughs> to Cleveland. Okay. <laughs> you have really streamlined it, though, Jay. If I had said 20, to 20 year old Jay Leno, hey, listen, listen what the end looks like here, okay? You're going to conquer the Tonight Show. You're going to have an airplane hangar filled with exotic cars. And at the very end, you're just going to gun in like a mercenary to do 90 minutes on stage of some of the good stuff that you'll still be proud of. And they'll give you a giant check because your name is Jay Leno. And you're coming in as a one-man band mercenary to cash a giant check. Good God, would that have sounded like success? Well, you know, it's all being famous gets you is the first 10 minutes free. When comics are unknown, they'll always say, whew, it took me five minutes, but I got them. It took me 25 minutes before I got them, or I never got them. But there's always a time when you didn't have them, and then you won them. When you're famous, you have them from the get-go, and then you go, Boy, I had them, but I lost them after about 10 minutes or they split after a half hour or they didn't stay for the whole thing because you're not turning over material fast enough. So, And they make you earn it, right? Like ultimately, at the at the at even if you're at the height of comedy, you might get the 10 minutes for free. That's what your career has bought you, but you better bring it after that. It better be good yeah, or, yeah. or you, you, you will bomb. Be, you want to have new material. You want to have, uh, yeah. People say, what's it like when you go out there and you just bomb? Well, it, it, there's a point in your career where you don't really bomb anymore because you have stuff you know will work. It's just not as successful as it normally is. Uh, so you don't really just have a, like 90 minutes of silence because if a joke has worked hundreds of times before, it'll probably work this time too. But I mean, it's the reason I don't like to do Netflix or HBO specials. I remember I, I had a young comedian on the show and... Uh, He's talking about going out. His Netflix special had just aired. And I said, what are you doing now? I'm going on promoting the special. And I said, what material are you doing in clubs and stuff? Oh, the same as a special. Are you doing the material from the special? In yeah. Uh, okay, so six months later, he's back on again. How'd that tour go? He goes, oh, man. <laughs> he goes, you know, when people are fans, they'll watch you five or six times to the point where they have the material memorized. And if you go to a club and you did the exact same thing, I mean, they just saw you for free. And now they paid 40 or 50 bucks for a ticket to hear the exact same thing again. Yeah, so yeah, good luck, pal. <laughs> you have seen so much of the evolution of comedy. Uh, and I don't, even, I don't even know where it is that you would go right now if you were looking for your funny. If you wanna go laugh, who are the people that Jay Leno endorses? Oh, uh, John Mulaney kills me. I think he's really good. The guy, Nick Bogazzi, is good. Tammy Pascarelli is good. There's a whole bunch. There's a whole lot of really good comics out there now. And it, it's really funny. Uh, Nikki Glaser is great. Uh, Whitney is good. Whitney comedy. I mean, uh, almost all of Bill Burr, one of my all-time favorites, fellow Boston guy. Um, you know, it's funny. Before I had The Tonight Show, I knew every comic because I was in the club. When I got The Tonight Show... You're in the studio 16, 18 hours a day. So there's a whole generation of people I missed. I didn't really know them until they got famous. And then I got to know them. But uh, no, there's just great comics out there now. It's terrific. A book was written about the late night wars. And in it, there were a ton of different details. One of which was you were hiding in a closet during a big corporate meeting because <laughs> you wanted uh, The Tonight Show over Letterman. Like what? Uh, what no, no. Actually, that's not correct. I had The Tonight Show. They were going to replace me. Um, this is my favorite thing. And the second time was uh, they called me and they said, let's think of making some changes. 
I said, you know, I've been number one for 12 years. And they said, but we want what's above number one. I said, okay, now what would that be? How does, how does, how do you get what's above number? Okay, you're number one. How do you get above? And nobody can answer the question. Well, they were trying well, to move. They were trying to move you, even though you were number one. They, forgive me, oh, please. Yeah. I'm I, coming at this ignorant Jay as an admirer. So yeah. please tell correct the no, story no, no for problem. me. No. But what you're talking about was I had gotten the Tonight Show, um, and Letterman was going to go to CBS, and the idea was: Do we keep Jay and lose to Letterman? Okay, so. Um, Letterman eventually went to CBS. So it took us 18 months to get it back. But then once we started winning, we went, we won every demographic group for the next 20 years. So we're okay. I mean, I was happy with that because David was the hip guy, the cool guy, and I was the populist. Uh, we got the ratings and maybe we were a bit more uh, milk toasty than Letterman, but that's okay. That's what America wanted. That's uh, that was uh that's what seemed to pay off. See, NBC had an interesting problem. You had Letterman who was number one at 12.30, and I was number one at 11.30. Okay, now what do you do? Do you put Letterman down at 11.30, and then I would go to ABC or CBS? Or you try to work out some sort of deal? Well, they, uh, they eventually, Letterman got a, a, an incredible offer from CBS, and he went over there. And I didn't know what was going to happen, so I... I hit out in one little field's office, you know, just to hear what was going on. So I, just to find out who was for me and who was against me. And I heard Jack uh, Welsh say, uh, look, Leno's been a loyal soldier. He's good for the network. They didn't like Dave because Dave trashed them. Um, you know, there was an executive, I remember at the time when Letterman was guest hosting The Tonight Show, uh, said, hey, my kid's in from college. Can we get a couple of tickets? And Lem said, no suits or relatives of suits. I don't want any. And he was like, this is my network. No, no, sorry, can't do it. And I remember that guy said to me years later, you know, I wasn't going to put up with 20 years of that. So um, people act like, you know, I had been guest hosting the Tonight Show for five years and doing quite well at it. And then it was given to me. But whenever I read stories, it's as if Dave had the show and I somehow swooped in and took it. It's not. It was a decision they made because we can win at 1130. And if we can placate Dave and keep him happy, we'll win 1230 also. And that's sort of what happened. Did it hurt your relationship with Dave? At the time, um, you know, Dave and I always had an interesting relationship. We don't really have a lot in common, but we have a mutual admiration for each other. When I first saw Letterman, I thought he was an incredible wordsmith. I thought he was just amazing uh, how he could put phrases and things together. And I went up and told him that. And then he said to me, how can you be so confident on stage? I see you, you don't get nervous. I go, well, no, how can you you know, be such a good good writer? And, and so I, I think we made each other laugh. I, I, I think I knew the kind of things Dave would laugh at, you know, uh, he had that ironic sense of humor. I remember one time Lennon was on the cover of Success Magazine. Now, Dave is very modest. So unbeknownst to Dave, I walk out on the show and I got, Dave, I got a copy of Success Magazine here. Hey, you're in here. And Dave's going, yeah, put that down. No, no, Dave, I'm reading about you in Success Magazine. 
I said, Dave, you know, I'm going to magazine also. And I took out a magazine that was twice as large. It was called Super Success Magazine. <laughs> and had a giant picture of me, you know, and, and Letterman just thought that was the funniest thing because he thought, oh, this is going to be some kiss-ass segment with me talking about it. And it, well, it was really funny. It was just, his magazine was this big and mine was this big and it was super success. Dave was on regular success. And yeah, just those kind of things made it just the most fun time of my life. Do you have anything in the way of remorse on Conan O'Brien or stuff that people misunderstand on how everything played out with The well, Tonight Show and Conan? It's it's a network decision. Okay. I promoted Conan every night. You know, after 13 weeks, they didn't know what they were going to do with Conan. And I went to um, Don Omar and I said, look, the guy's funny. I still think he's funny. I said, why don't I give, give me his guess? And I'll say, Dave, you know, Conan's got Harrison Ford and we'll promote him every night. And we did that. Okay. And then after five years, the network says, they want you out. They want the show. And Conan's got the clouds, the lawyers and all that stuff. And I said, what's all that? You know, and my attitude was, look, you can't make the girl like you. Okay. I'm not one of those guys. Please. Okay. You want me out? I'm out. But read my contract. My contract is pay and play. You know, a lot of people have these contracts where, and if you don't, if they don't use you, they have to pay it. I don't like that. Uh, I, because that means, you know, good. If you're going to play, play, uh, pay me, you have to play me. So they had to keep me on for another five years. Okay. So, I mean, think about that. Who says, in five years, you're fired. I mean, it's hilarious. So, okay. So then what happened was Craig Ferguson came along and he went on at 1230 and suddenly he was, he was beating Conan in a lot of markets. And then the network said, well, wait a minute here. This guy's beating Conan. Is this the right guy? And then they started to second guess it, you know, but by that time the deal was made and they said, uh, would you stay on? Would you stay on at, uh, would you come on at 10 o'clock? And I said, well, I, I'm not, I don't think primetime talk shows work. And I was proven right. But uh, they said, I will tell you, we'll, we'll pay your staff for two years. No matter what happens, everybody will get paid. And I had the same staff for 22 years. So that seemed okay. So I said, okay. And uh, we did the 10 o'clock show. And we were blamed for Conan's lack of success at 1130, which is not really fair. Uh, but it's okay. Yeah, whatever people want to say. And then eventually they offered me the show back and I took it back. Is all of that uncomfortable because it seems like a big public mess where you get smeared on whatever it is that, uh, bad behavior hey. is or less noble behavior is. And people well, say, well, well, uh, you're a sports guy. Who do you tackle? The one with the football. Okay. And the tonight shows the football. If I have it, you take me down. If this guy has it, you take him down. I mean, look, it's a business. The idea that, you know, I would hear people say, after Johnny left, they should have just retired to Tonight Show and kept the show blank and honor. And just stupid. Guys, it's a product, you know. You've got it for a while and somebody else does it. I mean, when I handed it off to, to Fallon, it was seamless. I handed it off on a Thursday night. And that Friday night, I was performing in Florida. It was like, it's a gig. It's a job. I loved it. It was great fun. But ultimately, it's a job, you know, and, and you move on. Two final questions. I want uh, yeah. the listener to check out You Bet Your Life with Jay Leno. I could talk to you for hours, Jay, because I really do respect oh, well, thank you, the, thank you. the craftsmanship. Oh, yeah, you, you Bet Your Life is a lot of fun. It's in different 
times of day in different markets. But uh, yeah, I really enjoy doing that show because it's basically just jaywalking, just ad-libbing with people. And I think it's the most diverse audience on TV. You know, most of the game shows pick from the L.A. area. You know, all, all the uh, people within 30 miles of the studio. We get people from Nigeria, from the Congo, from the Middle East, from Scotland, from Florida, from Louisiana. So consequently, there's an excitement there. You know, most game show hosts, most game show contestants live in L.A. So they used to seeing Brad Pitt at the Whole Foods every Wednesday, you know. So they're, they're not sort of smitten by the whole deal. You know, whereas you get these people who get all excited. They've never been on TV, you know. And it's just it's, it's man, on, it's man on the street ad living, right? It's some of the stuff right. that you were doing on the Tonight Show that you like the man on the street stuff. You like interacting with people. You are somebody who is very much a people person, and so to televise these things is easy for you because you're just doing improv with people and you're using them. It's not prop comedy, but they are your vessels toward comedy. Right. I, I, I'll take that. Thank you. Okay. No, that's, that's, yes, that's the show. And it's, and, and it's televised cotton candy. That's wonderful. That is a tried and true thing that will work throughout uh, eternity. The televised man in the street interview with a funny person. Exactly. Exactly. The final two questions were this. I had yes. to follow. Uh, if you and Conan O'Brien run into each other at the grocery store, that goes how? Well, I say hello. I am nobody. Look, it's a business. I get it. Uh, you know, it's fine. I would be polite. I, I don't dislike Conan. I still think he's funny. I think he's very talented. Okay. It was a matter of I had the show. Someone tried to take the show away from me. They did. It didn't work out. They gave it back to me. Okay. That's basically what happened. The idea that it's all this intrigue. And, you know, I would read how, you know, Leno demanded the show back and they had to give it to him. Well, first of all, after they fire you, how can you demand something back? It doesn't make any sense at all. Or they had to pay me $150 million. No, nobody paid me anything. <laughs> get $150 million. When you're fired, you're fired. As simple as that. And then they, they asked me to come back, and I did. People thought, well, you shouldn't have come back. Why not? You know, I didn't, I didn't argue to come back. They asked me. I was fine where I was. A place that you are always fine, I would imagine, and uh, is in that uh, airplane hangar where you have the custom cars that you love uh, so much. I believe that you are filled. I don't know whether you envy many people, but I imagine that you have a great deal of envy for Jerry Seinfeld just because he took the idea of putting comedians in cars and going to get coffee because he merged all the things and you love cars more than he loves cars. Well, I think we love him about the same. But yeah, Jerry's great. Jerry's a great guy and a great comic uh, and one of my closest friends. And we always make it, you know, whenever I talk to Seinfeld, we each come away with something. You know, you'll, the fun thing about talking to Seinfeld, you throw out some obscure fact, you know, like that I know he will laugh at. Jerry, what did you say? I was just watching Crosswits. You know, Crosswits. That was like an obscure game show that was on like 40 years ago for like 10 minutes. And, and, it, and it makes you laugh as a comic because it's a specific weird reference. It just makes people smile. So that's that's sort of the fun part. Whenever I know I'm going to talk to Seinfeld, I just try to come up with something I think might might make him laugh a little bit. Well, it's one of the highest honors is to get him to laugh, right? And, by, and by, oh, okay. when you can make another comic laugh, it's one of the great pleasures, is it not? Yeah, yeah. Rodney was a classic example of that. And and the final question wrapped in the other question. Two hundred and eighty six vehicles, is it? Is it is is that how many you own? No, I got two hundred and three cars and one hundred and sixty eight motorcycles. 
Is there one among all of them that is the the prized possession? You can only run. Well, no, I, I like you can only let them in communist China now. You're only allowed one car. Well, I mean, it'd probably be the Claren F1, but it's not good for going to Home Depot and picking up plywood. So that probably wouldn't be the perfect car. I am urging the listener, you bet your life with Jay Leno. He is very funny. He's been funny across the 50. Goddamn, thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. 50 goddamn years, Jay. Uh, thank you, sir. I appreciate the time. Thanks for taking the time. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. I hope so. My team is one win away. And I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do to celebrate once they get past this series. I'm going to go to my fridge and I'm going to get myself an ice cold can of Miller Lite. A lot's changed over the years, but one thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975 and it still hasn't been settled. You see, Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, and only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything that you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer, less filling, and only 96 calories. The original light beer since 1975. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller Time. To get Miller Lite delivered right at your door, visit MillerLite.com Beach, B-E-A-C-H. Or you can get it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer calories and carbs than premium regular beer.